Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. In our Dhamma review of Jhana, we have come to the Atakanagara Sutta, the single quality for awakening. On one occasion, Venerable Ananda was at Valuva Gamaka near Vasali. At that time, a householder, Vasama, from Atakanagara was nearby in Pataliputta on business. Completing his business, Dasama went to Kakata Monastery to ask a certain monk a question. Where is Venerable Ananda staying? I would like to see him. The monk told him where Ananda was and Dasama left immediately for Valuva Gamaka. Upon meeting Ananda, Dasama bowed and sat to one side. He had a question for Ananda. Venerable sir, is there a single quality taught by the Buddha to be developed so that the unreleased mind of a Dhamma practitioner who is mindful, ardent, alert, and resolute in the Dhamma would attain release and security from the yoke of clinging to views rooted in ignorance of Four Noble Truths? Yes, there is, friend Asama. When a Dhamma practitioner secluded from sensuality and other unskillful qualities enters and remains in the first jhana, this first jhana is experienced as rapture born of that very seclusion. It is accompanied by directed thought and evaluation. Despite the pleasure of this first jhana, they understand this first jhana is fabricated impermanent and subject to cessation. As they continue meditation, they enter and remain in the second jhana. The second jhana is experienced as rapture and pleasure born of concentration. Free of directed thought and evaluation, the joy of concentration permeates their entire mind and body. Despite the pleasure of this second jhana, they understand the second jhana is fabricated, impermanent, and subject to cessation. Continuing meditation, they enter and remain in the third jhana, which is equanimous and mindful, a pleasant abiding. With the fading of rapture, this pleasant abiding permeates their entire mind and body. Despite the pleasure of this third jhana, they understand this third jhana is fabricated, impermanent, and subject to cessation. Continuing meditation, they enter and remain in the fourth jhana, which is pure equanimity and mindful. Being pure, neither pleasure nor pain is seen. They sit permeated in mind and body with pure, bright awareness. Despite this, the fourth jhana, they understand this fourth jhana is fabricated, impermanent, and subject to cessation. 
as concentration deepens, their mind is unbound, spacious, free of the confining yoke of ignorance. They are imbued with unlimited goodwill, with compassion, with empathetic joy, their mind resting in equanimity. Even so, this Dhamma practitioner understands that this release through goodwill, compassion, empathetic joy, and equanimity is fabricated, impermanent, and subject to cessation. Remaining well concentrated, they reach the end of the defilements, greed, aversion, and deluded thinking. If they do not reach the ending of the defilements right then and there, through their continued right effort, right effort, the lower, the five lower fetters will fall away. Those lower fetters are self-identity views or self-identification, grasping at rituals and practices, doubt and uncertainty, sensual craving, deluded thinking. Furthermore, having abandoned self-identification with form, having abandoned aversion, having abandoned self-reference now here and now there, they enter and remain in the perception of the infinitude of space. Then the dimension of, the inf of infinite consciousness, then the dimension of infinite nothingness, and then too, the dimension of neither perception nor non-perception. Even here, they understand that any phenomena connected to the five clinging aggregates form, feeling, perceptions, fabrications, consciousness rooted in ignorance is impermanent, stressful, a disease, painful, an affliction, and as such, anatta, not self. They disregard these phenomena and incline their mind to the cessation of ignorance. Nothing remains to provoke the further becoming, the becoming of further ignorance and the birth of continued suffering. They will enter into pure bright awareness, a pleasant abiding, totally unbound from clinging to wrong views, never to lose their mind again. This, my friend, Dasama, is the single quality taught by the Buddha to be developed so that the unreleased mind of a Dhamma practitioner who is mindful, ardent, alert, and resolute in the Dhamma would attain release and security from the yoke of clinging to views rooted in ignorance of Four Noble Truths. Upon hearing these words, Dasama remarked, Venerable Ananda, it is as if a Dhamma practitioner were seeking a single opening onto treasure and all at once realized 11 openings to treasure. In the same way, I was seeking a single doorway to the ending of all fabrications. All at once you taught me 11 doorways I can take, all leading to the single point of cessation from fabricated views. Here, these 11 doorways refer to the four levels of jhana, the four fabricated realms, which we mentioned as the dimension of infinite space, infinite consciousness, perception or non-perception, and nothingness, and the three marks of existence, greed, aversion, deluded thinking. Excuse me. Anicca, impermanence, anatta, not-self, and dukkha. Venerable Ananda, all true teachers deserve a fee. I will pay homage to you. Dasama then gathered the sanghas from Vasali and Pataliputta and prepared a feast for them. 
He gave a pair of cloths to each Sangha member and a triple robe to Ananda. He then built a dwelling for Venerable Ananda. That's the end of the sutta. So, what was the first thing that Ananda said to this householder, to Sama? The first thing he said was establish seclusion, establish stillness, establish a place of refuge where you can actually begin this type of practice. So we can't do this in our car. We can't do this at work. We can't do this type of practice at the Phillies game. This, this, is, this is not walking meditation or gardening meditation or surfing meditation or whatever. This, this is very specific what the Buddha is teaching here, what Ananda is talking about the Buddha teaching, the establishment of, the, of jhana and the development of jhana. So next he says, he says, yeah, secluded from sensuality and other unskillful qualities, one enters and remains in the first jhana. The first jhana is experienced as rapture born of that very seclusion. It is accompanied by directed thought and evaluation. So while you were meditating this evening did you all notice that pleasurable experience of turning off the video monitor and sitting and gathering yourself on your cushion did you experience that yeah Zoomers. So this accompanied by directed thought and evaluation. In that, as we're settling into our mind and settling into our body, each of these jhanas, these levels of meditative absorption, The mind is still active. There's still, we're still practicing four foundations of mindfulness. So, so we're aware of the breath in the body. We're aware of the sensation of breathing. And that's part of the meditation instruction. We're aware of thoughts arising and passing away. We're aware of feelings arising and passing away. We're aware of that quality of mind that the early stages of settling into our cushion provide. So in that, there's still directed thought and evaluation. We're still seeing ourselves get caught up in our thinking and then having to direct our thought and return our mindfulness back to the sensation of breathing in the body. 
So in that, we're in the first John. There's, there's an experience of, of pleasure and enjoyment in that initial seclusion. There's the practice of four foundations of mindfulness, of noticing the breath and the body, noticing the rising and passing of thoughts and feelings, and coming back to the sensation of breathing in the body. So the key thing that Ananda says to Dasama throughout each of these descriptions of meditative absorption is they are fabricated, impermanent, and subject to cessation. So even these pleasurable mind states are temporary. This, this isn't um, the end of this practice. This is an aspect of this practice. Right meditation is one of the factors of the Eightfold Path. And we practice this way to develop all of the other factors. The second jhana is experienced as rapture and pleasure born of concentration. Free of directed thought and evaluation, the joy of concentration permeates their entire mind and body. So did y'all notice that? Did y'all notice that sense of pleasure in a deeper state of absorption? And it's not saying that thought and feeling have disappeared. No, no. And again, thoughts and feelings are arising and passing away all the time. The, the purpose of meditation isn't to stop thinking or stop feeling. We're humans, that's, that's what we do. We think, we feel. As this joy of concentration permeates their entire mind and body, the volume, the intensity, the, the pull of those thoughts and feelings, emotions, sensations starts to turn down like a dimmer switch. We're, we're not being pulled away from just what's occurring, the arising and passing away of our breath and our body. We're, we're here. And it's okay if we do get pulled away. If we do get pulled away, recognize that you've gotten caught up in your thinking, return your mindfulness to the sensation of breathing. We're right back. Third jhana, which is equanimous and mindful, a pleasant abiding. With the fading of rapture, this pleasant abiding permeates their entire mind and body. So that, that pleasant abiding, did you guys or have you either tonight or other times in your practice noticed a come to a place in, in meditation where you're not being drawn away by thoughts, you're not being drawn away by feelings, you're not being distracted by bodily sensations, you're not having to catch yourself and pull yourself back. You're just 
abiding in this calm. Third jhana. Continuing meditation, they enter and remain in the fourth jhana, which is pure equanimity and mindful. Being pure, neither pleasure nor pain is seen. So this is clearly, uh, absorption is probably the, one of the best ways to describe this kind of state where you're, the you that could be provoked to experience pleasure or pain out of the state that you're in isn't responding. It's not, activated. There's just pure, bright awareness. And that could last two seconds. That could last two minutes. It doesn't really matter. They sit permeated in mind and body with pure, bright awareness. Despite this, they understand this fourth jhana is fabricated, impermanent, and subject to cessation. <laughs> We're having a direct experience of impermanence with every one, each one of these states. They don't last. And we're not, we're not doing this practice to have them be permanent. We're doing this practice to train the mind and body to become absorbed in this stillness, in this calm. And then when we come off of our cushion and we come back into the real world and we go to work and we go to our families and we go to our people. We take that practice, we take the fruits of that practice into those relationships. So we find that we're calmer in our relationships by developing concentration, by experiencing John. Any questions out there? Comments? Brian? Um, I do find it endlessly fascinating that you use the same mechanics to develop concentration that you, to end fabrications 
So you're you're using the mechanisms skillfully because it's all a fabrication, right? And so it's it comes down to whether or not your practice is skillful or unskillful. And so you're using the same mechanics of fabrications to eventually abandon fabrications, but you're abandoning the unskillful and developing the skillful. Exactly. It's just like the Eightfold Path itself. If it had said that, that right. the Eightfold Path is fabricated and that that's the genius of this is, is how, how did the Buddha it's i don't want to use this word but maybe i'll say it this way he employed the very compulsive habitual nature of humans to strategize and organize and and um seek ways to figure things out to undo that condition there was there was no other alternative he, he had to use those same mechanics and there was nothing else right that's all we are that's all we right. have at disposal ultimately so that the fabrication that is the eightfold path of right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, right meditation. Each of those you know in one way behavior modification methods. The Buddha was setting those up so that we could undo our clinging to needing to figure it out, needing to know, no, no, I got to know, got to know, got to know, got to know. We tried long enough to not lose his mind. Right. And finally we were like, no, this is not where it's at. Right. And I mean, in, in John's comments here, this is, this is really good in those, um, in those four fabricated realms, the dimension perception of infinitude of space, dimension of infinite consciousness, dimension of infinite nothingness, neither perception or non-perception, those were those. The kind of mindless states. Right. Sort of states that his, the Buddhist teachers, Udeka Brahmaputta and Alara Kalama had taught after he had developed those, he said, no, that's not it. That's not the end. So it's very, it's just, it's just a genius, a genius method. A genius method to practice jhana by finding seclusion finding a secluded place, a quiet place, starting to notice the sensation of breathing in the body, starting to notice thoughts arising and passing, starting to notice feelings arising and passing, and then the resultant quality of mind. And as that is 
practiced, the mind and body become absorbed in that practice and it goes deeper and deeper and deeper. And then we start to get insights into our own habits of mind, our own habits of distraction. Walter, what do you think? Well, I was, um, yeah, this is my first time here, so. Welcome, we're glad thought, you're here. Uh, thank you, thank you. My, uh, um, my story is that I've had a meditation practice for maybe 25 years, um, but I've been really unschooled other than what I've read in, in the typical books uh, on Buddhism. <clears throat> So this is, I've never, I've never been a member of the Sangha as I told John initially and a friend of mine recommended this. So, uh, so forgive me if these things, my observation seems naive, but, but I had trouble uh, with the initial word in each of those, John, is the word rapture, entering into rapture, because in my, in my, and while I could, I could understand the movement through each of those uh, jhanas uh, as, as something that either happens to me or I can imagine happening or has happened. Um, they all seem to start off, as I recall your reading, with the concept of rapture as an initial state. And, uh, and maybe it, it's the connotation of that word that threw me off. I mean, if, if the word had been stillness or a sense of calmness, um, I could have accessed it better. But I, I was just, I felt right at the beginning, oh, you know, that's not me. I'm not feeling the rapture. I'm missing the rapture. <laughs> Everybody else has got the rapture. We're, we're all wearing the uh, same color sneakers right now. And <laughs> oh. The, yeah, the, John says it well in that rapture, he says, is a word often used in the Dhamma to describe a profoundly joyful engagement with the Dhamma. So it's, it's, it's not implying a Judeo-Christian um, second coming type of event. Yeah, experience. It's, it's really the, this sense of joyful engagement, which, you know, when we take to our meditation practice, just like entering in the first jhana, we, we experience the pleasure of that joyful engagement, of taking the time to enter into seclusion, find ourselves in a quiet place. So that's, that's what's referred to as, as rapture in this context. And yeah, the word joyful, jo joyful is helpful. Yeah. Many times as I, as I start, I can sense my lips curling up in a smile and with a sense of homecoming. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. Thank you. Wow.
uh, <clears throat> in reading this suit again, uh, I'm always a bit um, puzzled by this householder asking for a single quality. Um, and I can't quite make up my mind when he's asking just for what's the best, you know, or that he's, you know, trying to uh, embark on a, on a, a one-fold path. Mm -hmm. um, hmm. But the pretty thoroughly schools him of both of those ideas. And uh, yeah, yeah, it starts with genre and <clears throat> and going through genre fully that's where that's where it resolves as well um, I'm, I'm a bit, yeah, I'm, I'm a bit puzzled that he that he doesn't mention the eightfold path there. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, he says if, if you're looking for just a single thing that that will will get you on your way, uh, yeah, it, it, there there is there's no substitute for God. Mm. This is it. Yeah, yeah, I mean. I, I thought that too, as I read this was like, here, here's this lazy householder who's uh -huh. just looking for a cheat code and, and, you know, right. give me the, give me the quick version. I got money to make, you know, but. I like the aspect about the fabrication and impermanence, not just the jhanas, but like through in their stateful path. Because, because of that, it doesn't become a replacement or a crutch. It's just replacing what I had before, but it's impermanent. So therefore, it's leading you to the skillful engagement. Mm -hmm. I like that aspect. I like that too. And that, that, that is that in that Ananda skillfully encouraged Dasama to have a direct experience with impermanence. Have a direct experience with impermanence by developing jhana. And when you have established first jhana, you'll recognize that it is fabricated, impermanent and subject to cessation. And if you keep going, then and you allow your, your, your mind and body to, to become more absorbed in the second jhana, when you come to that, you'll find that is also impermanent and subject to cessation. So I, I, he, he, he does this, this single quality of, of awakening, in effect is have a direct experience with impermanence. Mm. then 
you'll see that what what you're craving for and clinging to is impermanent. It's actually a direct experience with all three modes of existence at the same time. Yeah. Julia. Hi, everyone. Uh, thank you for the teaching, Matt. Um, I find it really helpful that the Eightfold Path is a, is a fabrication. That, in this discussion, that's a really helpful thought for me to connect um, the only other thing that I would share is that in my personal practice, I feel like I um, I'm in that post retreat moment again where I, I feel like I've fallen off or I'm not not hitting you know like I'm not that sense of calm abiding or that equanimity is really? less frequent or I feel like I'm clinging or grasping. And um, it's exactly, <laughs> it's feeling super impermanent right now. But um, I think that the fact that the Sangha is carving out spaces for there to be a teaching as fundamental as this mm -hmm. in this moment, for me, is just super reassuring that Good. it's worth everybody talking about all the time. Yeah. So thanks, guys. Good. Yeah, and, and you know, again, just like the dimension of infinite consciousness or the infinitude of space, retreat mind is also impermanent. And, and that retreat is also a fabrication. You know, we're, we're, we're creating a, a, a fabricated container to learn and practice just these things. So again, another skillful means to, to have a direct experience with impermanence. Let's, let's ha have five to seven days where we don't, we're just doing Dhamma practice. When any of those days of the week we'd be working or doing something else. You know? Just a different container. Yeah. Right. Drive out and take a right at one time. It's yep. just another container. It's sure. just another opportunity environment to practice. It's so good there. It does. Kimchi is not in front Jane? Thank you for the teaching, Matt. You know, as you were going through the different levels of jhana, like when I'm meditating, I am not really paying attention. I mean, when you're going through them, I could follow them and did I have that, I have that. But I'm not really you know, aware of that. But where I, where I am aware of is when I'm off the cushion, the level of concentration. Then, but I, I, I like the way you were talking about the impermanence too. I mean, different containers and all that. That's all. Because I think that's one thing that helped me the most is the notion of impermanence. Definitely. 100%. 100%. Thank you. Zach? 
in the back. Thank you for the teaching, Matt. I guess, uh, what I have to share this evening is I think I experienced hindrances. Tonight was the first night in meditation that I was experiencing drowsiness and maybe laziness. But it is interesting, I think, that the state that I was in felt like a level three of jhana because I was just very calm. Yeah. And then I kind of, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it is interesting that it's in my mind because as you were saying, you know, this, there's nothing to provoke the container of Zach, or there's nothing to provoke or any need for me to establish in any way, shape, or form, strictly just being present. And then being mindful uh, of the pleasure of that almost dozing off and just being present for it. Yeah. Not judging it. Just yeah, there's nothing wrong here. No. Remembering to come back to my breath, but being sensitive to that pleasure is also great to be there for that. So. Cool. Really good. Thank you. Mary? Thank you very much, Matt. Noble silence. Thank you. David. Oh, good guy. Thank you so much for teaching. Thank you. Great teaching. Thanks. I'm feeling it. But I'm loving that. Thank you. All right, friends. Anything in those comments stir anything or spark anything? Did you guys hear anything that you'd like to address? Then we will finish as we always do with meta. So find your relaxed meditation posture. This is what is done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. They are able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied. They remain unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways. They are peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. They do not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. They are always mindful that all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, they are always mindful to not deceive another or despise any being in any state. They abandon anger and ill will with ease, never wishing harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart, the wise disciple cherishes all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. 
This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, they abandon ignorance of four noble truths. Having completed the path, they are not born again into this world. Thank you all for a wonderful class. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.